Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Tonight, what I want to do is um, share what we're going to be doing as an experiment for the rest of this year um, in our preaching in church. Um, So I had planned to actually share this way back in February when I talked about what we were doing this year and then I just decided on the night I ran out of time and didn't. And now this is sort of the first Sunday that I've got to kind of like to do it. So um, yeah, so that's that's what tonight's going to be about. And then from next week in house churches and rolling on, we're going to just be walking our way through this experiment and if the whole thing fails at some point I'll get up and say well that was a good idea that didn't work so well and we'll pick something else so um, I say I say all of that because I think it's just good to experiment right and to hold things loosely and give things a go and we'll we'll see how we go so we're going to be essentially this year it's going to sound so radical to you essentially this year we're going to be reading the bible together what? Isn't that amazing? Um, but maybe to give a little bit of context about what this experiment is going to be, uh, maybe the, the easiest way is for me to start with a story. So um, if you can put up that next slide, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. This is what it says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall do labour and all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall do labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. I have on multiple occasions throughout my life preached on this verse. I've preached on this verse in this church. I've preached on this verse in leadership conferences both here and in the UK. I've preached on this verse in other churches as well. It's like if there's been a topic I've preached a lot about, it's been Sabbath. I think that's because I always feel like I want to rest. Um, And maybe I feel like I don't always rest well. And when I read this, I feel like it's a very countercultural verse for our 24-7 consumeristic culture that never stops. And yet we have in Scripture this call from God to Sabbath rest, to really take a break, to take a break one day a week, to see one day a week as holy. And I mean, I, I, I have read about this. I've read books about this. I've read poetry about this. I've tried to practice this. I've preached on this um, so much. And when I have read this verse, I've always seen this verse as a call from God for me to take the Sabbath seriously, to implement, you know, healthy rhythms of work and rest in my life. And the struggle for me has always been to rest. Late last year, I was listening to a podcast with a Latin a Latinx theologian called Miguel de la Torre speak about this verse. So he read out this verse on this podcast and then he began to preach on this verse. And do you know what he preached? He preached, why does scripture say we can work for six days but me and my family cannot work for more than three days a week? 
Why do we not have enough work to feed our family? And yet the Bible says and God says we can work for six days. And he preached on this verse. And my, it felt like if I was a cartoon character, it would be like my mouth hit the floor because I have never, ever read that verse and thought about work, ever. I've only ever read that verse and thought about rest. And he opened up my eyes to read scripture in a way that I was not able to read for myself, to see things that I was not able to see for myself. And to, within that, then like experience a sense of humility around my reading of scripture. But it also led me into a place where, you know, I, I have a sense of, of prayer for the injustice of people who want to work and cannot work. Like it, it revealed to me my privilege that I've got enough work to feed my family if I want to. And my struggle is rest. And then it made me think about, I was going to say poor old God, but I don't really mean poor old God. But, you know, I have a, a somewhat active imagination and I can imagine God wherever he is, you know, hearing the cries of like, I don't know, 50% of the world crying out for rest. God, we're overworked. We're so tired. We need rest. You know, that's us. And then the other half of the world, God, we need work. We're too, we're too quiet, we need more work. Like, and that God's just, you know, just the hilariousness of the polarity of that thing. And that is not the only time in, the, in my life, but especially in the last couple of years, where I have come to understand that the way I read the Bible and the way I interpret the Bible is not the only way to read the Bible and to understand the Bible. And of course, when I say that, that's not rocket science. And yet it's so f funny, I think, to me, how often when we approach scriptures, we just think that the way re we read it and what we read is right. And I wonder, and I have wondered, and I do wonder how much we are missing when we only read the Bible with our own perspective and how much more richness and depth and truth and encouragement and confrontation there might be if we could read the Bible, not with our perspective, but with somebody else's. So essentially our experiment for the rest of the year is going to be to read the Bible through other people's perspectives and see what we find and be challenged and encouraged and, um, and see what happens. So that's essentially what, that's the short version. If you fall asleep now, you know what's going on. Um, <laughs> I, I think I was given a, a kind of a belief about the Bible like it was made of glass. Like if I dropped it or if I used it wrong, it might shatter and break me or hurt me or that maybe I could hurt someone else with this. With this. I think that was more the, the kind of like, I don't think, no one ever said that to me, but that's what I've picked up. This is like... You've got to be real careful with this because it could cut yourself or someone else. But I have actually come to realise through experiences like the story I just told and many, many others where I've realised that my way of reading the Bible is not the only way of reading the Bible, that a better way of understanding the Bible is that like, this thing is like a bouncy ball, that you can bounce this thing off any surface and it will return to you. But every now and then you might bounce it 
and without realising it, it might smack you in the back of the head in a way that you never expected. That's what this is, rather than a glass thing that might break if we don't you know, treat it carefully. This is more like a rubber bouncy ball that God wants to use to surprise us and to confront us if we let it. Jesus um, had this view of scripture and at the very beginning of the parable of the Good Samaritan, or it's not really the beginning of the parable, but the, the parable of the Good Samaritan was sparked out of a conversation where an expert in the law comes up to Jesus and asks him this question. We, Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he goes on to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Um, and love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly, do this and live. But of course, because this guy wanted to be better than Jesus and he was testing him, he says, well, who is my neighbour? And then we have this story of the Good Samaritan. But this question that Jesus poses to this expert in the law has long intrigued me. Jesus, when you know, asked the question about eternal life, does not actually give the man the answer, which is very typical of Jesus. Instead, he asks the man what is written in here and then asks him how he understands it. Like, what is written and how do you read it? Implying that there are many ways to read this thing. And Jesus was really intrigued and interested to hear from the lips of this man who was there to trap and test Jesus just exactly how he understood it. And I, I imagine that Jesus stands before all of us with that question, like, what's written in here? And how do you read it? Implying that there are many more ways to read the Bible than what we might understand. There are words in this book, and then there's the ways that we interpret or understand these words. And in the story that you know, we read leading into communion, it's a classic example of how people can read the scripture and totally miss things. Like as these two disciples who presumably have been with Jesus a long time are well versed in the ancient scriptures, are walking along and they, you know, when Jesus walks along with them, he then starts to explain to them, starting with Moses and the prophets and all the way through and points out to them what they've never seen before which is him, alive and evident through all the scriptures of the Old Testament. And they saw what they'd never seen before. Like, that was a new thing for them. Clearly, there are ways to read the Bible, but you can completely miss Jesus because that is what happened. Another classic example is Saul. You know Saul, Paul, Saul? That guy. Because there's a couple of Sauls in the Bible. So Saul was an absolute keeper of the law a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, zealous in every way. He had probably memorised most of the Old Testament. He had spent his life invested in his scriptures. And what conclusion did he come to? I can murder people. That was his conclusion from reading the scriptures. 
That is mind-boggling to me, that he could read the story of God and conclude that it was okay to kill people who were following Jesus. And clearly not much has changed in the last 2,000 years because I could tell story upon story upon story from history where people have used this book to murder other people. And clearly we're still getting it wrong. And Jesus would still be standing in front of us saying, how do you read it? I'm really interested, not in the black and white words on the page, but in how you read this thing, because it actually makes a difference. And I think, you know, the Bible gives us so many examples. The Bible itself gives us so many examples of people getting it wrong while claiming to understand what this says. Enough that we should be incredibly humble and gentle and careful when we interpret this book and curious about how other people might read the same words as us and see and hear different things. And so I feel like humility is absolutely essential in our approach to theology and the Bible. And so if you could imagine it like that when we read the Bible, you could think of the Bible like we've, there's lots of different lenses through which you can read the Bible. Like you can put on different glasses and depending on the glasses that you put on, you will see different things in the text. Um, you know, Jesus himself acknowledged that this was true, that there are ways to read the Bible. There are ways to understand the, the, the scriptures. And so I think we need to um, and I think what I feel like God is inviting us into as a community is the recognition of the glasses we always wear um, just because we're us and how we might choose to just simply lay those aside for a few moments and put someone else's glasses on and see what we see. Not because our glasses are bad, just because there's other things, other beauty, other goodness, other truth to encounter if we could see and read and hear this thing through someone else's eyes. Frederick Buechner has this great quote. He says this, Theology is the study of God and his ways. For all we know, dung beetles may study us and our ways and call it humanology. If so we would probably be more touched and amused than irritated. One hopes that God feels likewise. <laughs> and I think that's a really funny quote to get to the humility, I think, that we need to hold when we're talking about God, when we're trying to understand God, when we're trying to understand God's words, when we're trying to read the Bible. Um, it's important for us to hold it with humility and to recognise the lenses that we bring to, to Scripture. And I, you know, I have to recognise that the lenses I bring to Scripture, that I read this thing through my own life and through my own context and through my own story, and that's not wrong, that's okay. But it's helpful to recognise it. So when I, I have to recognise that I'm white. Now when I say I'm white, I don't mean my, my skin's fair and I'm freckly. What I mean is that the culture that I have been raised in that I don't even know is, that I don't even know how to recognise it is a white culture. Um, it's white Anglo-Saxon European culture. I am privileged 
because of my whiteness in ways that if I was indigenous, I would not experience privilege. Um, I'm middle class. That's a perspective. I've not had to read the Bible from the bottom edge of society where I don't have enough food to put on the table. I've always had three square meals. So I read scripture probably in the, the eyes of Jesus as one who is rich. And that is confronting when he said things like, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I have to recognise that in that context, I'm the rich one. <laughs> um, I'm straight. I am just on the border of Gen X. So all of that worldview, my teenagehood was in the 90s. That's a perspective and a fashion and a formative years. I was raised in the Christian culture of the 90s with Jesus freak and history makers and, you know, all of that. That was part of my formative years as a Christian. That has informed some of the way I read this. The, what, the messages I've heard in formative times, I'm able-bodied. I'm a woman. You could, could go on and talk about the context through which I read this. But what it means is I don't read the Bible like a black man. I'm not a black man. I read it as a white woman. And I, I see things in there that speak to me and challenge me and confront me. But somebody else would see different things in the same words that challenge, confront and encourage them. And when I see what I see and I can also see what they see, all of a sudden my faith becomes richer, more humble, more Christ-like, more aware, more justice and mercy oriented, more challenged towards love. And so that's, I think, the experience that I, I want us to have as a, as a church together, that we would practice reading the Bible through other people's perspectives. And I want to say, like, I, the goal of reading this thing, despite the culture I grew up in, the goal of reading this thing is not to get it right. It's not to get it right. The goal of reading this is not to get it right. It's to be faithful to the love that God calls us to. That is the sum total of the Christian life, that we would love as Jesus loves. You will find nothing in the New Testament that says that those that get to heaven are those that get it right, that those who are mature are those that get it right. You won't find that in here. You will find everything about maturity being linked to love and the way that we love one another. So the goal for us is not to get it right, but the goal is faithfulness and love. Um, it's not perfect knowledge, it's perfect love that we're going for. So it gives us some room to learn how to love more widely and more broadly. Now I want to acknowledge that in this room, many people, including myself, probably have a very complicated relationship with this thing. And some of you might not have read it for a very long time, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. You can just keep that in your own heart. Some of you have a very faithful Bible reading practice. Some of us have found this too hard. Some of us have become too familiar with this to the place of boredom. Some of us have been 
restricted by such rigid interpretations of this book that we haven't know what to do with it, so we've done nothing with it for a very long time. And some of it, us have so much hurt from the way that other people and their interpretations have used this as a weapon against us. And so we've left it on the shelf for a very long time. But I am hoping that this year as we, we dive into this and we look at this and we wrestle with this with curiosity and humility and gentleness, with love, that some of us might come to realise the sacredness of this book and that maybe we need to experience some healing from the wounds that interpretation of this book has done to us but that this book in and of itself is holy and good and beautiful and maybe we need to re refine ourselves anchored somehow to the Christ that this book reveals. Chris Green says this, he says, God is not going to rescue us from the work of making sense of what scripture is saying and making sense of what is happening in our lives. God is going to return us to that work over and over again. And so my invitation to us as a church this year is that we're going to do some work together to come back to finding out what this book and our lives and what God is saying to us through those things. And it's, it's, it's work. Sometimes it's fruitful work, sometimes it's glorious work and sometimes it's just a bloody hard slog. That's okay. That's life, right? We can do hard things, including reading the Bible. <laughs> and I want to say that, you know, one of the interesting things about the Protestant Reformation, one of the interesting things about having this book put in the hands of everyone, including for some of us multiple copies of this book in several different interpretations, is it's given us a, an idea that we alone should read this and try to figure out what it says. But I'm not sure that's the best way to read the Bible. Now, I'm not suggesting we go back to the days when I just get to tell you what it says and no one else can read, so good luck to you. But I think that this book was always intended to be a communal book, a book read in community, by the community, wrestled with by the people, not by the experts, but by those of us who are doing the work of what these words say to us and in our lives. And so this will be a communal experience that we do this year as we listen to many voices and many perspectives. So this is what we're going to do essentially. Essentially, we're going to take one passage a month and we are going to start by looking at that passage in our house churches. So on the fourth Sunday of the month in your house churches, you will get thrown up the passage we're going to be wrestling with all month. In the house church, we're going to approach it more contemplatively. We will either do Lectio Divina together on the passage, which is a meditative way of reading scripture, or we will do some kind of imaginative practice, a bit like the Palm Sunday experience that you had if you were in house church on Palm Sunday. So it will either so it will be a way of accessing that scripture for ourselves. So it will be a personal reading. It will be the way that many of us faithful evangelicals have been taught to read the Bible, which is what does it say to you? Okay? We're going to start there. 
We're going to start there because God does speak to us. We're going to start there because Abby's experience of having God speak to her is good and real and beautiful. And we all need to remember that God wants to communicate with us. And one of the ways he has done that is through these lovely words. So we're going to start with the personal and see what God says to us. And I know that God will challenge us and confront us and encourage us and woo us as we approach whatever scripture we're looking at just from a personal level. Then on Sunday afternoons for the next three Sundays, so the first, second and third Sundays of the month, we are going to read the same passage each week through a different lens quite intentionally to see what other people see in the text that we might miss. So some of the lenses that we might actually look through, and of course we'll only pick three, and some of those will be relevant to the passage that we're doing, and some of them might be left of field, but we'll be looking, there's all different kinds of lenses through which we can look at it. A lot of the time I would love us to read that same passage through an Indigenous lens. See what our Aboriginal Australians would say to us. We might look at liberation theology, look at it through the Middle Eastern context of the thing, through feminist theology or womanist theology, which is the intersection of feminism and, and black. Black feminism is womanism. It's a very interesting perspective to read the Bible through. Um, you know, through what the Desert Fathers said about this, Francisca, you could, we could go on forever about how these lenses that we could read the Bible through. So what we will do is pick three, and on that same passage that you've dived into in house churches, we're going to each week look at it through a different lens and just see what we see, hear what we've never heard before, and see what God might do to open our eyes and open our ears to some of the things... Um, that he might want to say to us. It's an experiment. It might totally flop. We might get to month two and think, oh my gosh, what were we thinking? We can't do this. And then I'll just pick something else. Um, but I really wanted us to have a go at this because I actually think it's something that God's stirring up amongst his church worldwide is this recognition that the way you've always read this thing is not the only way to read this thing and you need one another you can't forever divide yourselves up into dominate, denominations and cultures and sexualities and, and make everything so straight and conformed that you never dip into the wisdom and the goodness that's present somewhere else. You need the whole thing to be rich and mature. So we're going to try that. Sometimes it might be very confronting because we might not like what someone else sees. We might, and you don't have to agree with it because remember the goal is not getting it right. So if you hate it, oh well, <laughs> that's okay. I've listened to things that I don't like and it's good for me because then I realise I don't like it and I've learned something. So we're going to have a go. Now of course preaching these things is going to, if we can, we will get someone of that perspective to preach it. But it will actually be quite challenging, I think, to find people. So a lot of the time, Oren and myself and others will be preaching, will be relying quite heavily on commentaries and books of that context through which we're reading. So you might hear me, I, I am not, I cannot be a womanist theologian, number one, because I'm not black. So, but so to even speak from a womanist perspective, is, it's just, ooh, I'm, you know, 
cautious, but I think it's a voice we need to hear and if we can't find the person to speak it, we'll gently say it to ourselves. So we're gonna have some, hopefully we'll have some fun. Hopefully, I'm hoping that at the end of this, some of you who haven't picked up your Bible for a long time might be surprised that you find yourself picking it up and being smacked in the back of the head. Some of you might find that when you read these words and they've always triggered you, you finally can see through that into the beauty that lies beneath. That you will see things you've never seen before. You will grow in humility. You will grow in love. You will grow in prayer because now whenever I read Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8, I can no longer just think about myself and my rest. But I'm forever invited to pray for those in the world who need more work. And then I'm invited to, you know, in our own community to consider those who are underemployed and who might want more work than what they can get and how I might work for justice for those people, might hear their stories and understand their context. And I want to finish um, with another quote from Chris Green where he says, If we hope to read the scriptures faithfully or to talk about them truthfully, then we need to learn from the very people we have abused and neglected, trusting that God has spoken to them what we were too rebellious to hear. Isn't that challenging? Those voices that we silence, those people that we exclude, those voices that we don't even know are real because we've never heard them may actually contain the very truth we need for our own lives. And I'm also reminded of the very, very... um, central tenet of our faith, which is hospitality to the stranger. Right from Abraham and his hospitality to the visitors at the oak tree, right through to the hospitality when Jesus says, you know, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me, to the hospitality to the stranger on the Emmaus Road who turns out to be Jesus. From the New Testament, you know, accounts of, you know, we didn't know who we were entertaining and we were entertaining angels. There is a long, long trajectory in our faith for the hospitality, for hospitality to the stranger. And this year we're going to practice that, hospitality to strangeness. Hospitality to the strange voices we've never heard before. Hospitality to the stranger. And in it we might actually find Jesus who we've been looking for. Amen? Does that sound all right? I don't know what I'm doing. I might need your help. And honestly, if you do know someone uh, who is, you know, I was going to say a theologian, but, you know, they don't have to be real smart. I mean, I'm not. I'm like a dung beetle. <laughs> um, who has an interesting perspective. Like, I think if you know, just, just feed names through to me or perspectives. And there might even be opportunities for us to... Um, to have, you know, we've, we've Zoomed the world, haven't we? So I feel like there's opportunity now to reach out beyond the... Um, there's someone I'd really love to come and speak to us who is not able-bodied, but if you've ever discovered nothing of this building is wheelchair-friendly. And so they would not be able to even come to our building. So there might be times when we do some 
video things just because it'd be interesting to hear voices from other places. But I'm, I'm feeling good about it. A bit excited. Got some good ideas. And so we're going to have some fun. So that's what we're doing this year. Sound all right? Wonderful. I'm going to... No, I'm going to ask someone else. Let's, let's, why don't we actually just have a time of prayer? That sounds even better than one person praying. So how about we just finish together? Maybe a couple of people can just pray out, pray over this. Um, one of, I, I specifically wrote the prayer that you will pray at the beginning of every house church as a repetitive prayer that will form us as we're doing this, that God would open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see that which we've never heard or seen before, that we would be healed by our listening, that we would honour one another. That's a, I wrote that prayer very specifically with this in mind and so um, I'm really wanting each of the house churches to pray that regularly because that prayer will become a formative thing in our community and for our journey. Um, oh yeah, and I didn't, I had that slide and didn't have anything to say. There you go, lovely. Um. <laughs> All right, let's have a time of prayer. A couple of people just pray out and, and I'll just um, pray at the end when there's long silence. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. <laughs>